Death Before Booze may discuss controversial or sensitive topics and is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back. Here we are. Oh my God, episode number two. (laughs) So welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. First episode is always going to be the longest, so we're going to try to keep it tight. But here we are again. No promises. Sam, do you want to tell what our topic is this week? Okay, well, this week's topic is Weird New Jersey. And it's all because your girl Sam here is from New Jersey originally. So thought we'd go hit my hometown roots a little bit. Yay. Get ready That's for exciting. a lot of weird accents. <laughs> That's exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> so I'm starting this week. Yep, you go first. I went okay. first last week. So what are you doing? I'm so excited. I am going to tell everybody the story or the history of the Jersey Devil. The New Jersey Devils hockey team named their team after this little guy. So let's go with it. I am so excited. So, all right. So here we go. It started off in South Jersey, Philly area. So that's kind of where this cryptid comes from. It's also known as the Leeds Devil. And I'm going to get into why, because there's, again, whole backstory. What does it look like? Well, I gave you some pictures up on the the website, so that's exciting. It has a kangaroo-wren, which I didn't really know what it was, but a wren is a type of a dragon. So it's got that type of bot. It has a horse-goat head, so a little mix of both. Leathery bat wings, horns, small arms with claws as hands so i kind of you kind of picture a little dinosaur cloven hooves as you do and then you've got the the forked pointed tail so it looks like a nightmare and that's that's how it is like a nightmare Um, yeah it is it has this high-pitched blood-curdling scream that's heard for miles so I bet you it's just a screeching owl in the middle of like, it, the know, Pine Barrens, honestly. That's the thing. Honestly, honestly. The folklore is so cool because it just takes a mind of its own. But it does originate from somewhere. So I was like, let me get the history on this first. So the legend of the Jersey Devil is 1735. It originated in Pines Barrens residence. I don't know if you know whereabouts that is in Jersey. Like, okay, so the Pine Barrens, if anybody's ever gone to the Jersey Shore... It kind of starts in just after Lake Point Pleasant, and literally Pine Barrens is what it is. It is just a shit ton of pine trees that you drive through that looks like they are never ending, but it's super weird because you see, like, sand. Like, you don't really think huh. of pine trees because you're down the shore, but the Pine Barrens, since I've been a child, have always been not only the dwelling place of the Jersey Devil, but also just not a great place to hang out in. I mean, I'm sure there are lovely people there. However, it's you go through it, you don't make eye contact with, you know, Jersey Devils, the regular people, whoever's out there, you just drive through it and get to LBI or Wildwood or wherever you're going. You have to get through them to get to these places, so you're just going to drive through it. 
Okay, that makes a little bit more sense because I didn't really have a lot of background and I was just like, I kind of was thinking back to Dudley Town vibes where it's lots of woods. Yes, that's so. a good one. Yeah, just picture woods okay. and you look in and darkness. Like oh, they're innately not creepy. Great. It's just a really big forest of pine trees. And it doesn't it, belong there. Okay. It's just eerie. Yeah, like you're just driving, like, you know, you're going down the parkway or whatever at one point and there's all this grass and these beautiful trees and all the like fun wildflowers and the like garbage. And then, you know, you get to this part and it's just a wall of pine trees. So it definitely has a different feel. It is a little eerie. Huh, I mean, it's so weird. Yeah. So this makes sense why it originated here in particular. Oh, so. Yeah. The woman's name was Jane Leeds, which is, again, the other name for the devil, also known as Mother Leeds. So she had 12 kids and, she was, preg- and she was pregnant with her 13th. Yeah. So it's a big family. Um, yeah. She and was really frustrated. Yeah. That's that's kind of. Okay, mm-hmm. you're going there. One, three. She was frustrated with the fact that, again, she's, she's pregnant again. She's got more kids. So not too happy. So what she declared, and again, the number 13 is always one of those like odd, like spooky type of things anyway. So she declared this child would be the devil. Okay. Before so she it was said even it. Born. She did mm-hmm. this to herself. She did this. Okay. So, Nothing like a victim. Um, this is kind of what, what, <laughs> what reminded me. It reminded me of this because I'm like, (laughs) but reminded me of this was um, when you go back to the water boy and he's like, mama says that's the devil. I was like, that's the, oh my God. Yes. My kid's the devil. So, oh my God. Back then there were midwives and they would go to the houses to have the, the mother give birth and all that. So it was a family affair. So the child was born and the child was born with hooves. A goat's head, bat wings, and that pointy tail. I've never had a child. I am, <laughs> I've never fallen pregnant. That's not something I've done yet. Um, however, I feel my vagina would never come back. Like, From it that? would just, no, I think it's the hooves. I mean, the bat wings probably didn't tickle. I hate it. It's and I again you have to you have to and like, there's think no about drugs it. back then. What did she yes. like? She literally like bit on like a bullet like to get this thing out yep. of. Uh, and it. cesarean sections were few and far between, so it was a natural birth of a nightmare. Devil. So it growled and screamed, as you do. I um, mean, it, he just got forced <laughs> into the world. I bet it's a lot colder than hell in freaking New Jersey. Whenever this happened, he, did you give me yeah. like a day? But whenever it, it happened, we didn't do. I, I think it was a. I think it was May. I didn't write it down. But at the, again, he didn't ask for this. Yeah, he did. Mom said before Mom. he was even born that he's gonna be the devil. So, oh my god! Go. Imagine You're if he came full. out and was like, "Bitch, I'm calling Dyfus." Like this, just <laughs> where's the phone number? So he came out screaming, kicking, hit everybody with his tail, and then flew out of the chimney into the forest. You know what? Hold on. The am- amazing dexterity for an infant. Like, let's yeah, just take a moment. Fly. Came out. I mean, he didn't even need the Pissed. normal, like, couple minutes of, like, let me get my feet under me like normal animals. Or, like, you know, what is it? Like, two years before something starts walking or a year and a half, yeah. whatever the hell it is. Like, he just flew out of her vag and then flew up the chimney. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think... Out of the- 
Like, whoosh, I'm here. <laughs> Hello. You whoosh, fuck you. Him. I'm out. Like. <laughs> now, some people just say again, he hit everybody with his tail and then she was like, peace out. There's the legend where he tore apart the midwives, killed his father and some of his siblings before then going up the chimney. Again, it kind of, I guess, depends. Maybe we need to call Dyfus. I feel like he took care of his own issue. I feel like it's, again, it depends on what kind of a folklore you're going for. Yeah. So now that's the folklore people tell. But is it based on maybe a true person? So one of the historians actually grabbed some dirt on some old founding fathers. Historian Brian Regal, he theorizes that the story wasn't based on one person, but it originated from South Jersey on, quote, religio-political disputes that kind of mixed in with the folklore. So what was going on at the time with some of our founding fathers that might have kind of caused a little bit of, oh, well, that person acts that particular way. So they kind of stretched it into a, a, a devil story. So Daniel Lead, who again, part of the family name, his wife did have 12 kids. They broke free from the Quaker religion of the time. Okay, so this is back in like the, this is like 1700s. Yes. Okay. So this is back in the 1700s. So he broke away from the Quaker religion. And as a result, we know how that works. Whenever you break away from a very big community type of religion, they're not happy with you. She's a witch. (laughs) Yeah. So it turned into, (laughs) he has some crazy beef with Ben Franklin. So we're going to get into that because Ben Franklin seems like the easy going, like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Who else did Ben Franklin have an issue with? Because he took umbrage with everybody. Isn't he the reason why, like, the Blackstones up here in Connecticut, like, they weren't as... Somebody once told me he, like, he had a beef with, like, the Blackstones at the libraries named after in Brantford in Chicago. He had some big beef with them over some bullshit. And, like, they aren't written into history, like, you know, Franklin and Hamilton and Jefferson and all that because of the shit he was going through. with. I think Franklin was petty. I mean, I'm here for it always, but I bet he was a petty bitch. He just seems like one of those founding fathers that, like, again, he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I just did this, this electricity thing and whatever. Maybe he seems like an easygoing guy, but then you see that he has, like, beef with these people. Like, what the hell? Like, bro, <laughs> calm down. Everybody's <laughs> okay. smart on their own level. We're all here. So it, it just so happened that Daniel and Franklin were creating an almanac. And I don't know if you've heard of the, the Poor Richard Almanac by Ben Franklin. Yes. Okay. So around That's the same time. That's what tells when, when it, like, the farming stuff, right? Yeah. And it's, like, those those really old-timey, inspirational type of quotes. And you're like, what? Like, what? I so, feel like we'd buy that at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> you probably can. <laughs> like an old country store. <laughs> Daniel had his as well. And, again, the idea of the selling of it and the publication and stuff, it, they're at odds. But it was actually Franklin that took a little bit more of a, an issue with that because, of course, because of the rivalry, he, there were times when he actually referred to the Leeds family as devils 
because again, they broke away from the Quaker religion. Oh, it was like a little ro- endearment. Look at those so, devils out there living in the Pine Barrens. Well, I don't think Boy. it was. A, it was I don't yeah. think it was a positive thing. But <laughs> I don't know if it was positive, but I'm just gonna. So because of that, people started to think, oh, well, then there's got to be some folklore of this Leeds devil. So that's kind of where it created the idea of the Leeds devil. But there is actually no creature in that sense. Okay. But Franklin's beef continues because he continued to kind of be a little bit petty. On he actually continued his feud with Leeds' son Titan. Okay. Okay, so this so, is one of the twelve. Is wait, does he yes. have tw- this twelve? Okay, I'm back. We're good. He's one. He's the son of of uh, Daniel. So okay. Franklin referred to Leeds' son as a ghost, and he jokingly in his almanac gave a death prediction for the kid who was not happy. So Oh yeah, well, I mean he didn't uh, die the way that was predicted, but he was like, "Bro, you don't do that." And Franklin's just like, "Oh, I mean, it was just a joke. Like, it's just a joke." And I'm so, like, hey, "Bro, mm, stop it." Mm, <laughs> don't like that. I don't like that. No, and it's just I like it's like rude. That. It's rude more than anything else. Like, yeah. don't bitch. Do that. Your dad died, bitch. I don't like you. Ha ha! Look, I predicted your death. Like, it's not even funny because of the fact that it was written in the almanac, and as Titan as the ghost, people seem to think that it was Titan's ghost that was the Leeds devil. Okay. Later on. Um, okay. Because it was him that's lurking around in the Pine Barrens and you know doing the whole thing. Oh, but again. No, didn't really make things a lot easier because he had the issue with Franklin in 1728. He introduced their family crest on the almanac that his father had written. Now, okay. their family crest, again, I, t- I have a, a picture of it on the drive for you guys, but it showed a, a weirin. Okay, so fr- back from the beginning, the dragon dash bird type of creature. That's <gasps> no. on their crest. Yes. Oh my God, wait, I have to go look. Oh my God, it's right there. That's on their crest. So it's like, bro, you didn't do yourself any favors because if you want people to not associate you with the Jersey Devil. So that made people go, well, clearly if their family crest is a freaking demon, then yeah, that's the whole family's demon. So, okay. So now we get to the sightings nowadays. I didn't get a date on this one, but Commodore Stephen DeCure. So this is like a, a ship guy? Yeah, I guess. I guess that's all Commodore, I'm thinking right? is Pirates of the Caribbean and Commodore Norrington, who wanted to right. marry Elizabeth yeah, Swan, yeah. who obviously was like 20 years younger than him. So that's a whole yes. other problem. But like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, well, look yeah. on the shore too. So ships. So I get maybe, it. Okay. Yeah. I'm so on board. That. Oh, I get it. See what I did there? <laughs> on board a ship. Please keep listening. He's... I'm so sorry. <laughs> he sighted a flying creature. He fired a cannonball directly at it because so I, that's why also the boat thing makes sense. Um, okay. Nothing happened. Like he well, he fired it at the work. cannonball and nothing would happen to it. So, okay. So Joseph Bonaparte, who is the brother of Napoleon Bonaparte. Okay. Yeah. I knew he that claimed, name. Yeah. He claims to have seen it while hunting. Didn't go further than that. He just was like, I saw it. <laughs> okay, put your hand down. Relax. <laughs> yeah. So. It was over there next to that other guy. Yeah. 1840. There was a lot of people who blamed several livestock being killed on this particular creature. They actually 
got a group of bloodhounds out to go search for it and the dogs refused they were like we're open out we're not doing this so they like tried to pick up the set and everything else and they're like we're not doing it's like well he went that way you can follow him i'm gonna chill here you let me know how it goes exactly so i'm rooting for you buddy there were tracks and screams that accompanied this particular creature but again they they never went further with it because they couldn't get to it 1909, Delaware Valley, there were strange hoof prints that were in snow, on top of roofs, in backyards, just weird placing for these type of things. And this is the best story out of 1909. So apparently a lady was, she had her dog, the creature was going after her dog. So she hit it with a broom and it flew away. I just love that. I just love the fact that she was just like. The devil's no. afraid of a broom. Yeah. That. You know, that would kind of work with like, what was it? Like old witchcraft where they would like yes. sweep the bad luck out of the house. And then like, isn't that a thing? Mm-hmm. Am I making this up? I you think, can tell me I'm I making think, this up. It sounds I feel right. like I feel like I've heard of it. Well, also, when we went to Salem one time, they had the broom magnet magnets. Yeah. And they're said to bring good luck to get the evil out so maybe okay. the broom is something okay so okay maybe. but i just loved how this old lady was like hey, you ain't doing that today like swung the broom <laughs> not my dog it was like absolutely not go find your 12 siblings <laughs> to torment seriously so 1925 a farmer shot at an unidentified animal attempting to steal his chickens and he actually photographed it and he went to a hundred people to like show them this photograph and be like, look at this. What is this creature? And no one could identify it. Just looks weird. Yeah. I don't so. like that. Yep. I don't like that. Seven, an unknown animal with red eyes was seen in downtown Pennsylvania. 1951 boys, I guess outward like hunting or something claim they saw a creature fitting the devil's description. But again, Nothing occurred after that because they didn't have any proof. The craziest thing is that in 1960, merchants offered a $10,000 reward for the capture. And they offered to build a private zoo for it. (gasps) Now, I looked up how much money that would be today. Oh, yay. (laughs) So they offered 10 grand. 10 grand then is basically $100,000 to capture this thing. This creature. And 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 they're going to build a zoo. Alive because we're going to put it in a zoo. They're they're going to build it. Keeping it. Right? Even for 100 grand. Like, where did you build the zoo? Where am I putting it? I bet you this was that zoo up in like West New Jersey where. Like, one of the tigers or jaguars. I think every state has this story. You know, there was a museum zoo, and then one of the animals escaped and ate everybody, and then he let somehow all the other animals got out, and now they're like, this had to be back in, like, the 60s or 70s. And, like, to this day, supposedly there's jaguars running around, like, out in Boonfuck, New Jersey. (laughs) It's so funny. Oh, my God, yeah. It's probably something, like, they said, we're going to offer the cash prize, and then we're going to build the zoo. So that also would be my question. Like, if I catch it, where am I putting him until... Because I'm not you responsible. Want him, I don't, I don't know want what him. he eats. I don't I want mean, him. I mean, he's got that pointy-ass <laughs> tail. I don't want to deal with that shit. 
So today, some people report seeing strange things, like strange creatures, traveling mm-hmm. down the Garden State Parkway or the Atlantic City Expressway. So, like, on the sides there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just drove down that, like, yep. two, three weeks ago. Yeah. It's nuts. And yeah. There's strange tracks in, like, desolate areas that kind of resemble hooves and whatever creature it is. It clearly walked on two legs as opposed to four. Okay. So Wow. So, according to people in New Jersey nowadays, there's a couple of people that I got their actual, because I think weirdnewjersey.com, they have the particular creature and then they have here are people's accounts so i grabbed a couple of people's accounts because Weird some of he is so awesome i used so to be, some like, of them are fun i watch McCall. i used to be like subscribe to that magazine like that was my christmas gift or one of them like every year for my I mean, mom i have so many of those issues here i mean it's really it's really interesting because this was just on the jersey devil but it's weird new jersey new jersey is the weirdest place like that magazine like this is not an ad this is not a sponsor god weird new jersey please sponsor me because i love your magazine and your website and your everything it's a great site oh yeah and now they have books for like the whole u.s like they branched yes. out so mm-hmm. but it really it started off as just weird stories hauntings murders like random houses like you know like the ugliest houses in america well new jersey pioneered that and they just did the ugliest houses in new jersey <laughs> weirdest collections like there it funny. is an eclectic mix of information in there But that's why I was like, there were so many people who had different types of stories. So I was like, let me stick with three because these were the, these were the fun ones. So according to Mary Christensen, she said that she was driving to Glassboro from Blackwood. If that makes sense. If you know where that is behind her 25 feet, there was a creature walking upright behind her car across the road. It was at nighttime and he had literally no no concern was just walking and it was 25 feet from her car she said that it was taller than a man it had thick conches or like quad area and then it had a woolly head and it was just breezing through and she was like yeah i don't like it no No. i would keep driving yep well she did she didn't stop i didn't see (laughs) she she was just looking kind of in the back mirror like what in the hell is that so yeah no i'm good bro i'm out these next two have to do with people who are going camping in the Pine Barrens. And, no. like, I don't know if you – can you go camping there? Sure, there's campgrounds. I'm sure – I mean, you can camp anywhere. Should you camp sure. there? Probably not. I mean, sure. but again, I mean, if you don't have a camper with a bathroom, I really don't think you should be camping anyway. But anywhere. I'm just bougie, so ignore me. Listen, I don't like camping, so, like, I – I like the alcohol in the woods part of it. That part's fun. It's the whole being dirty and being there for more Mm -hmm. than, like, a day. Like, if I have, like, Ken and I have a camper, so when we go camping, I have a bathroom, I have a kitchen, I have a refrigerator. You know, like, I have what I need, a bed that's not on the ground. I have a heater. I know this sounds like, you know, a big thing. It's like a little camper. It's not like anything huge, but... I will not go into the woods without a bathroom. <laughs> My own no. bathroom. I'm not doing no, it. No, absolutely not. So Keith said he was camping near the Hampton Furnace. He was hunting with a bow, which, okay, cool. Something followed him and was kind of circling around with him. So he went back to the campsite 
and no. the, the circling continued. No. So whatever was following him was continuing. Did he and see this, it? He's, or did he hear it? How does he know it was He did hear it. <gasps> because this happened two hours after it got dark, too. So while he's, like, in his little tent, he's hearing something in the area circling the oh, campsite. No. Oh, um, no. There were footsteps outside of the tent and then Mm-mm. screaming. Like the banshee type of scream, but how Keith described it is it's like a large truck horn, but it was so close because whatever it was, was like right there. I don't know. So, Mm. no. Mm. So then several minutes passed, it went away. He stayed, obviously, in his little tent until the next morning. And then the next morning came and there were no tracks around the area. So there's was no it flying around? Oh, but he That's... heard footsteps. Holy right. Shit. No. It's really bizarre. It's bizarre. No, I don't like that. It's really bizarre. No. And then our last story comes from Frank T. This is the 1980s. He was also camping in Pines Barrens. Okay. He and his friends were, he said he was younger, so like teenager. He was riding his bikes and they heard this piercing scream. Now, he wasn't with the whole group. Some of them were at the campgrounds. Some of them were riding the bikes. So there was this piercing scream that they were like, what is that? It did not sound human. So then they rode back to the campground. And the people at the campground who were four miles away said, yeah, we heard that. It was freaking nope. bizarre. Mm-mm-mm. So they're all, like, shaken up. They stopped down at one of the bars in the area. And they're still, like, super spooked. So then the bartender asks, hey, quote, what did you see, a ghost? And he's like, I don't even know. So they relayed the whole story, told them what it sounded like. And the bartender just looks at him and says, it seems you've met our friend. (gasps) And takes them out in the back. They're in the parking lot. there, There were tin garbage cans that were shredded, like, completely shredded and it looks like it was made with three claws like the no. claw marks were no all fuck off no so i was like no. you what did it? it seems like you've met our friend they they never knew they never because one day they just came to the bar and were like what the hell did that and they're trying to again rationalize what kind of a creature it is um why would we, it's a why tiny would garbage them? This it's is literally just to be man. like, look, the, the, the devil was here. Like, yes. is that why we keep it? Oh, I, I hate I, it. I feel like that's kind of what it is. Gotta so. shake it off. Oh, I just got so, chills. I don't like it. If people see all kinds of things with this this t- particular cryptid, is it is it real? I don't know. If you guys live in Jersey, let us know what you've seen. Because this seems pretty nightmarish. Nightmare fuel. Oh, my God. Please, 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 please. Like, I've driven through. Literally, I went down to Atlantic City at the beginning of September. So, like... It's pretty fresh in my head what it looks like. Please, for the love, if you know anything, know anybody who knows anything, please write in. It's deathbeforebooze at gmail.com. Send us your story. I will read it. And oh, my God. Yeah. I love everything about that. Well, no, actually, I really hate. That's very good. Very, very beautiful. That was very nice. I'm going to clap. Thank you. That was good. Good rendition. So my story this week is about Richard Lenin Kuklinski, also known as Big Richie, also known as the Iceman. You ever heard of him? I feel like I have. I feel like I've heard him referred to as the Iceman. Yo, he is creepy as (laughs) fuck. Go on the website and look at his picture. Like, he just looks like... I would not fuck with him. I would not. I'd be like, okay, bro, you can stay on that side of the room. I'm going to chill over here. It's going to be great. Okay. 
So I'm going to kind of, there's a lot. Like I know we said we were going to try and keep this to an hour. I'm going to try my best, but there's just so much to cover. So Richard Leonard Kuklinski, AKA Big Richie, AKA the Iceman was born April 11th, 1935 in Jersey City to a Polish immigrant, Stanley, and Anna Cecilia McNally, who was an Irish immigrant. Uh, he's the second oldest out of four kids. His dad was an alcoholic who regularly beat everyone in the family. At some point, yeah, I know, so fun. This is dark. Like, he has a bad childhood. So his dad, at some point, abandons the family, but he kind of comes in and out, like, whenever he's having a bad day, like, to beat on somebody. So he gets drunk, comes home, beats everybody up, and leaves. Um... Richard absolutely hated his childhood. Everything about it, never wanted to relive it, was going to change in his time. Um, at one point, he, his dad came home and was super drunk, normal, you know, normal time. Came home, beat his oldest son, who was seven at the time, Florian, to death. Jesus. Beat the kid to death. Richard was five years old. The parents, like, when the cops came, they're like, hey, you know what happened? They're like, yeah, he fell down the stairs. And the cops were like, holy crap. Okay, sounds good. We're done. Thanks for that. And that was that. When his dad wasn't around, you know, his mom had four kids she's trying to deal with alone, single parenting. So she'd beat them with the broomstick handle. NBD. Not that big a deal. 1970, Richard's younger brother, Joseph, was convicted of raping and murdering a 12-year-old girl and then throwing her body and her dog's body off of the top of a five-story building. Come on. Leave the dog alone. (laughs) That's what I got out of that. Puppy. I'm sorry, sorry, little girl. I'm sorry for the puppy. How How old was the brother? At that time... He was in his 20s. Richard was 35 and the brother was in his 20s. So, like, he went to jail for a long time. And at one point after Kuklinski gets, like, you know, arrested and they do whatever, they're like, so what's up with your brother and all that? And all he said was, well, you know, we had the same father. So, like, it checks. Like, this would happen. I guess. But Jesus. Okay. So that's like his early childhood life. You know, he was picked on mercilessly, not only at home, but... For kids on the block, you know, he was really tall. He was Polish, so he's like super skinny and like kind of gangly. You know, he wasn't a horrible-looking guy, but he wasn't like everybody's first choice. Okay, so he was married twice. His first wife, Linda, was actually nine years older than him, and they had two sons. He started working at a trucking company where he then met a secretary named Barbara, and he divorced his first wife because you know he met Barbara. So they start dating. Everything's great, and Barbara's like, "Yeah, I'm not loving this," you know. It's not you, it's me. I just really think we should see other people. So, you know, where most guys would be like, dude, all right, that sucks. He decided to take out a hunting knife that was so sharp that when he stabbed her in the back of her neck, she didn't feel the knife. She didn't know she had been stabbed until she felt the blood dripping down, like, the front of her. It was just a flesh wound. Literally. (laughs) It's just a flesh wound. What her. in the hell? So, like, picture them. They're in the car. They're sitting in the car. No. And she's like, Richard, I've had a really great time with you. Who keeps but, talking? But, you know, I really think we should see other people. This just, it doesn't feel great. I'm sure you're going to find somebody who loves you. And as she's going through her thing, just blood starts dripping. And she's like, what Holy the fuck? Crap. He goes, you belong to me. And if you ever try to leave me, I will murder you. And then I will torture and murder your family. So they got married. 
And they wow. proceeded to have three children, two girls and a boy. I mean, that's the best way to start off a relationship. I mean, that's Jesus. how you gain loyalty. Like, hey, do I want to be tortured and murdered or do I just want to put up with this guy's bullshit for the rest of my life? I mean, it, it's a... Uh, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. They're married now. And he is obsessed with having the perfect family. You know, he's absolutely obsessed. Has to have the perfect house, perfect wife, perfect life. You know, he, you know, made sure to keep up the facade of an upper middle class family. His kids never wanted for anything. And every time they left the house, they looked perfect. Every hair was in order and they were all smiling at any given moment. Behind closed doors, however, he right. was beating the shit out of his wife, doing everything that he promised himself he would never have for his kids and his perfect family in the, you know, in the future. At one point, I actually watched this documentary. It was like living with a serial killer. And it was from the daughter's perspective. So um, the younger daughter, yeah, no, it was a really cool show. The The younger daughter, what was her name, Kristen? She, she uh, told about a time where her dad was getting angry at the mom and she knew a beating was coming. So she stepped in between, you know, Richard and the mom and was like, no. And the dad's like, you need to move now. And she's like, I know you're going to beat mommy and I don't want you to. So he turned bright red, shaking, physically picked up the child, moved her over, put her down, and then beat the shit out of the mom. Jesus. So the little girl ran to, like, you know, her room and, like, hid from the dead. Don't blame her. No. Um, another one, and I feel so bad for the oldest daughter. Her name was Merrick, or is Merrick. She's still alive. Um, but Richard would, like confess things to her and confide in her so he would like tell her some of the shit he was doing and what was going on and she just really had to hold on to a lot of stuff that like a 10 12 year old didn't need to hear right mm -mm. and at one point he confessed if i ever can't stop myself and i kill your mother you know you kids are next like i have to take you all out and her response hey, the, only thing, the <laughs> only thing she knew to say in that moment she goes was all i could say is i understand because she didn't I, want to make her dad mad. And I mean, what are you right saying? What, you, what, what do you say what at you 12 years old? You know, he wasn't always like this. So, like, these, this poor family would be in shell shock. So one day he'd be like the perfect loving father, bring home plenty of gifts, hugs and kisses all around. And then the next day he'd be like, fuck you, I'm going to put you in the ground. Like, Holy how do you Christ. live like that? They all were like, we all we ever did was walk on eggshells. Like... Yeah, I mean, you have His to. His wife, Barbara, was always like, there's good Richie, there's bad Richie, and you never know what you're getting on any given day. Jesus. Crazy. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to move a little bit to his professional life. And when I say professional life, what I mean is how he brought money into the household. Got a whole bunch of little gigs oh. going on throughout the years. So, you know, every so often he'd have a real job, like when he worked at the trunky company. In the mid-60s, he worked at a, a warehouse in Manhattan, where they had all of the master copies of popular movies. So he started bootlegging all the stuff there. He'd record it and then sell it. Cool. He was once arrested for passing a bad check. That was the only time he had ever been arrested prior to being arrested for murder. He had a storehouse in Patterson that he used to operate out of. And when I say storefront, like the mob. Like he owned a business that oh, yeah. wasn't really yeah, a business. Yeah. Everything was in the back. All that good stuff. He started his own little band of burglaring brothers, as he called it. It was like the mob, his own little mob. So Richard worked very closely with a lot of mob. I'm going to get to that in like the next point or two. But 
he was Polish. He had no Italian heritage. So he right. could never become like a made man or a wise guy. He could never really be part of the in crowd. So he always kind of flitted around, you know, everybody else. So he started his own little mob. It was him, this guy, Gary Smith, Barbara, and Daniel Deppner, and Percy House. Remember those names if you can. They're going to pop up in a little bit. Then he started contract killing for all of the major mob families in New York and New Jersey. NBD. So he worked a lot with the Gambino crime family, which is what the Sopranos were based off of and all that good yep, stuff. Yep. He actually says that allegedly he learned about killing for hire from Roy DeMeo, who was a capo for the Gambino family. Okay, so that's all of his professional life. That's how he's making all this money. He's bootlegging. He's, you know, robbing people. He's just taking things. He's killing people. So he's just, he's just doing good and shooting for the stars. Everything's He's just working. despicable. He's just a bad person. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're at the murders. This is the bad part. I'm just going to trigger warn it right there. I, I tried not to go too much into detail. He says his first kill was when he was 13. He beat the neighborhood bully to death, then pulled out all of his teeth and cut off his fingertips because he read it in a true crime magazine. 13. What? That was his how, first first murder. I, how do you how do you think at 13? I'm going to pull out his teeth. He read like, it in a crime how magazine. But I mean, I change my nails whenever Cosmo tells me to. I mean, depending on what he was reading. All right. <laughs> just saying um when it was in his early when he was in his teens and early 20s he would just walk around the upper east side and start fights with homeless people so that he could kill them he would just go around he was bored he could he confessed to killing approximately 50 people this way five zero five zero fifty uh, i'm sorry <laughs> yeah Okay, so that's all like that in-between stuff. On July 30th in 1980, Richard killed George Maliband while he was selling him some bootlegged tapes. George's body was found a week later in a 55-gallon drum in Jersey City. Richard had cut the tendons in Maliband's legs so he could bend him enough to fit him in the barrel. This is the first kill that they can link to Richie. So, like, after all of this happens, that's the first one that they're like, all right, he definitely did it. He confessed to it. He did it. This is a thing. Because he liked to confess to things that he didn't do. Yeah. So, like, at, at any given time, they're like, he kills anywhere between five people, which is what, you know, spoiler alert, he gets charged with, all the way up to 200. It's probably right. nowhere near 200 unless, you know, I think they'd find more bodies or they'd be able to link it better, you know? I think it's just weird that a lot of people like are just like, oh, yeah, I did that. And it's like, but why? Why are you going to what are you going to confess? This like, guy obviously says he knows he didn't have anything to do with it, but he knows who killed Hoffa. Like, this is what oh, I'm saying. Sakes. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. He talks this big talk, but he really can't. He, he's a terrible person. Like, don't get me wrong. He's oh, yeah. absolutely deranged. Absolutely. He did kill people, but I just don't think he killed as many people or he wasn't in as deep of the mob like he thinks yeah. he was. Okay, so that's so you get the donuts. You don't actually do anything. Else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, cute. You have a storefront in Patterson. Congratulations. Great. Like he's like the Megan, like of the group. <laughs> we all know the Megan. Like you know, 
everybody's talking about somebody. If they're not talking about somebody to, to you, you're the somebody. Like, he was the somebody. <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. <laughs> on April 29th of 82, Richie met with Paul Hoffman. He was a pharmacist trying to score this brand new antacid that was on the market. Like, everybody wanted it. He And Kuklinski said, yeah, man, I can get that for you. Hmm. Well, what he got, Hoffman, was dead. He was dead. So he said, okay, meet me in this garage. And then he tried to shoot Hoffman, but the gun jammed. So instead he just beat him with a tire iron. Ugh. He's resourceful. Yeah. I, I mean, they got to give him that, I guess. Yep. His body was also, according to Kukleski, he stuffed the body in a 55-gallon drum and left it in Little Furry. They never found the body, so that can't be confirmed or denied. But they do know that this guy disappeared and he claimed he did it. Right. In the early E's, his little gang, his little mob out of Patterson, was starting to be investigated. And his one guy, okay, let's start remembering these names. One of the dudes from his little gang, Percy House, was arrested and agreed to inform on Kuklinski. So now Richard's getting, like, nervous, like, holy shit, everybody else in the group is going to do this to me. So he takes the other people, Gary Smith, Barbara, and Daniel Deckner, and he puts them in a motel in North Bergen, the York Motel in North Bergen. I don't like where this is going. Yeah. So Gary Smith, you know, was like, hey, I'm going to go out tonight and visit my daughter NBD. I'm not going anywhere. Well, in Clinton's head, this bitch is going to talk. He's going to turn. He's flipping on me. This is it. So when Gary gets back, Kuklinski gives him a hamburger laced with cyanide. Great. The cyanide didn't kill Gary fast enough. So Richard took the lamp that was on the bedside table and strangled him with the cord. Why not just do that then? Why, why go through the that whole thing? That takes so of, much you know? effort. He was trying something new. His whole thing was like, you know, if I do cyanide poisoning, the effects of the cyanide really just look like a heart attack. So if I figure out the right balance, it can it won't be like looked at as a murder. So that's what he was I, trying to do. And he, was, and he played so. with cyanide a lot after this. He was really trying to like perfect this cyanide thing. What really fucked up his whole plan was he sent Barbara to go get a car so that way, you know, they could move the body and do the normal thing, but Barbara never came back with the car. So he goes, okay, it's still going to look like he had a heart attack because he had the suicide. Maybe they won't notice the fucking ligature marks all over his neck because, you know, I fucking strangled him. Maybe they won't notice that. And then they shoved him in the box spring and put the mattress back on it. Because, you know, when people die of heart attacks, they always hide themselves in the box spring and put the mattress back on top of them. So nobody knows that they died. Could you imagine, like, renting That's that room That's what I would say. I'm going to have a heart attack tomorrow. How am I going to make sure I get myself into the box spring at a motel in North Bergen where I don't live, don't hang out, don't do anything, and then get the mattress back on top of my body so it smells for four days and all the guests in the motel start to complain? I, I mean, brilliant. That's what happened there. Brilliant. So that happened there. Now, poor Daniel. His wife left. Don't know where she went. She fucking ran. And now he's the only one left with Kuklinski. This moron never realized, hey, man, I'm next. Didn't click. So Richie moved Debner to an apartment that actually belonged to his oldest daughter's fiance. You know, they were out of town. So he's like, all right, come chill here in Bergenfield. Hang out here at this apartment. I got you. Between February and May of 83, Kuklinski killed Debner. 
and hit his body. So they don't know when he died, and I'm going to tell you why. This is this blows my mind. The body was found on May 14th in 1983 by a cyclist on Clinton Road in West Milford. The body was surrounded by vultures who had torn through the green garbage bags. Like, there's so much detail. The green garbage bags to eat the body parts that were left and disposed of in, like, a field. Fine! Fine! It's like a, it's like a pinata. Maybe it wasn't as fun. Okay, so now... I mean, um, it's a pinata, right? <laughs> it's, it's something got it's stuffed. Something. It's something. It's something. Um, <laughs> okay, this is like nervous laughter because this is the one. It's, this is yeah, the one. It's, it, because I'm it's uncomfortable, sweaty. but you're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's really like, hard when you're say? doing like somebody getting murdered and like murders and trying to like keep it funny and lighthearted because it's, it's not, hard. You're like, like, I don't okay, know. on September 25th of 83, Louis Mazgay's body was found in Orangetown, New York. He had planned to purchase VHS tapes. I don't know if they were blank VHS ta- tapes or like already like bootlegged tapes. Okay. But he met up with Kuklinski to buy these tapes and disappeared. He was buying these tapes two years earlier. So he told his family, hey, you know, I'm going to go see Big Richie about a thing. I'll be back in a little bit and never came back. So his family was like, dude, he's gone. Like they reported it. He's missing. He's MIA. Okay. They found his body over two years later. Kuklinski had shot Mazgay through the back of the head, stored the corpse in a freezer for 15 months. 15 months. And then ditched the body. That's how we got his nickname, the Iceman, because when they did the autopsy, they found crystals, like ice crystals, in his heart. (sighs) That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Like, I, I, okay. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I don't either. (laughs) That's your five killings that we know. Once he was in jail and like being interrogated and starting to confess to everything and anything. And the more he talked, even after he was convicted and went to jail, there are now on HBO, you know, the Iceman tapes, the, there's a full on movie about him. You know, every dateline, there's a whole bunch of stuff on Peacock. Kuklitsky confessed to killing his alleged mentor and business partner, Roy DeMeo, you know, the guy we talked about before who showed him how to kill for hire. And again, that's all mm-hmm. alleged. Like, there's experts on the different crime families who are, they might have, he might have crossed paths with the Gambino family, but he probably did not run in the same circles at all as Roy DeMeo. Right. He's just kind of trying to bolster his, like, yeah, no, I'm a big man. I'm somebody who's important, and he really isn't. So this is how it all went down. ATF Special Agent Dominic Polifrone was an absolute expert at infiltrating the different mob families. So he had been in and out of mob families as like an undercover agent for years, decades. Like this was his main job. He really took his time. He hung out in Patterson at the storefront, made sure people in the neighborhood knew he, he was like a get him. He could get whatever he needed them or they needed from him. It took about 18 months for him to finally get the call. Hey, the big boss wants to talk to you. He needs help. So 18 months undercover, he finally meets with Kuklinski at a Dunkin' Donuts, and they sit down and they chit-chat, 
And, you know, Kukinski's like, yeah, I think I have a rat that I need to take care of. What do you think of that? And, okay, so this is another documentary I watched, and it's all really from this guy's perspective because he was across the table from Kuklinski. And he looks at him, he's like, I think you're a fucking idiot. How are you letting there be a rat in your organization? He said it just like that. And he's like, the second it came out of my mouth, I had such a fear in my heart because he turned so red and so mad and just stared into my soul. And he's like, this big guy sitting in dunks, and he's like, you're fucking right. You're right. Can you get me pure cyanide? Met him the first time, was like, this is what we're doing. He's like, yeah, but Dominic is like, yeah, I can get that for you, but in good faith, you gotta do something for me. And Kuklinski's like, bro, you got a deal. So they left Duncan and they were like best buds for a hot second. Huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Dominic is working on getting the drugs and he's going back to his people and is like, dude, we gotta make this move. So they concoct this story that Polifron, Dominic, is getting cocaine for this rich bitch asshole who flaunts his money and, you know, he always carries all this money on him. He's telling he's telling Richard, you know, he always has money on him. Why don't you come with me? We'll fake dropping off this kilo to him and we can just kill him and take the money. We'll split it. And Kuklinski's like, great idea bro i'm in what a party friday night let's go so they meet up at the parking lot where all this is going down all the officers are in place they're looking they're in the trunk of the car where the drugs are and then you know richie comes with his kill bag so it has the gun the silencer so he has everything to take care of this guy and dom's like all right here's your cyanide so that's the swap and now they're waiting for the the guy to come to get the drugs so they can kill him so they can get the money so Richie's like, I'm gonna go for a quick walk. We got some time to kill. So he takes the cyanide with him and he tries to feed it to a stray dog. I don't know why, like why dogs keep having to get brought into this. So he tries to feed it to a stray dog, but the dog doesn't die. So now he's like, this is fake cyanide. It's a setup. So he gets back. He goes to his car and is like, yeah, man, something just came up. I got to go home really quick. I'll be right back and leaves. And they're oh, like, no. fuck, we lost him. He knows. So they chase him down to the house. He gets to the house. He gets his wife in his car, like, by, like, holds, like, rips her into the car. And he starts running. And there's, like, a small car chase. You know, it's a couple blocks. And all the officers there are like, dude, if he did not have his wife in the car, he would not have cared. There would have been right. no nothing. We There would be no way we would have gotten him. Because he stopped when, we, when he hit one of us on his wife's side. And he, like, was like, oh, my God, my wife. Like... You know, he can beat his wife, but, you know, the car accident that hurt his wife, that's not allowed. Like, I don't get it. I don't pretend to get it. They took him in. Kuklinski was officially charged with five murders and six weapons charges. But the court forced prosecutors to try Kuklinski separately for each murder. They didn't want one big trial. You're going to get each one individually. And at first they were like, what the fuck? Like, why Why can't we just get this all done in one shot? But it kind of worked because after they went through the first case and everybody came in and said that, like, you know, Barbara came back. The guy, Paul House or whatever his name was, came back and he was an informant. So Richie walks into court the first day and Dom's sitting there waiting. He goes, hey, Dom, what's up? Like, they're best buds still. Hey, man. How you doing? Yeah, like, he knew he was an officer. He knew he was a secret agent. He knew. And he's like, sup, bro? still a good guy. It's fine. Mm, still we were guy. buds. <laughs> so he's found guilty at the first trial and sentenced to 60 years without parole. So when that happened, Kuklinski's like, 
fuck, I'm not doing this anymore. So he just pled guilty to everything else. He was sentenced with two additional life sentences, meaning that he would not be eligible for parole until 2046. He would have been 111 years old when he could have been paroled. So, but the first case, he couldn't be paroled. So exactly. by pleading guilty, he, it offered that back up? Exactly. That was okay, his plea gotcha. deal. He could come, gotcha. he would have the ability. I mean, you're not living to 111. He didn't even no. make it that much longer. In 93, Barbara finally divorced Richard. She said it was because of a money thing. He was in prison and it was all a financial thing. Bullshit. Good for her. Good for you. You right. finally knew you were safe and you could run. You know, you can say right. what you want, but good for you, girl. You right. know, she's the only victim of Richard Kuklansky who lived. Really right. think about it. Anybody yeah. who he got his sights on, done. Dead. Gone. Nuts. He died on March 5th, 2006 in Trenton State Prison. He had been incarcerated for 18 years. Right now listed on the death certificate was a heart attack. And huh. there is speculation that he had actually been poisoned, possibly with cyanide. Oh my god, that would be is great. the story. That would be such a great of ending. Richard Leonard Kuklinski, <laughs> aka Big Richie, aka oh the Iceman. And I just really quickly want to say thank you to my girlfriend Amanda because when I was like looking her in New Jersey, I had so many different things that like, you know, we used mm-hmm. to talk about as kids. So I Instagrammed her and was like, I have this, this, and this. And she goes, What about the Iceman? So thank you, Amanda. Yes, it was so nice of you. I've and definitely heard of him. Yeah. But looking at his pictures, he is terrifying. He is like, terrifying. terrifying. Six five. Huge terrifying. guy. Like, oh my God. And he's not like, you know, cute cuddly bear, like, you know, no, he's no, not like he does no. not look like that at all. No. <laughs> he looks and it's so funny because like, you know, when you watch like Tony Soprano, like, let's be real, I know, like, you know, when you watch the show, like, there are times where he is absolutely terrifying. And I'd be like, I'd never yes. want to be in the same room as that person. But most of the time, he really did seem like a family man. Like, you know, like, he yeah. really did give a shit. Like, you know, he would hang out with Carmelo. They would do their thing, whatever. But this guy, like, I don't think he ever lost the blank stare. Like, I think he no. was just always a maniac, right? I, I mean. I can't. Jesus. Yeah, no, I'm good. Thank I, you. No. Thank you. Oh I'm done. God. No, that's, that's. Uh, yep. So well, that's episode that's two fun. of Death Before Booze. We didn't do anything right in the beginning. We didn't introduce ourselves. Did we introduce it's the fun. show? We did say it was episode two. I promise we're going to get better at this little by little. It's all going to work out in the end. It's fine. We're just having conversations. That's like half the time I'm like, am I just having a conversation with Sam? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're just sitting here chilling, telling each other crazy things. Yeah. So yeah. it's been. Okay. So, again, that's episode two of Death Before Booze. Uh, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow us, Facebook, Instagram, at Death Before Booze Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend about our podcast. Um, if you can't find us on your preferred podcast platform, make sure you let us know. We want to make sure you can listen to us anywhere. Also, visit our website. You can find our Patreon page and our merch. Our Patreon is going to be something crazy. We were actually talking about maybe saying some of our personal ghost stories or personal yes. stories like that. And finally, always make sure you send in your creepy, crazy stories to Death Before Booze 
at gmail.com because we're going to start getting together some listener type episodes and telling your scary stories. So come back next week. We got some crazy stuff going on on our next date. Episode three. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Stay spooky.